Well, good morning, Real Life Church. It's a real privilege to be back up here with a chance to speak to you. Um, I've seen a new faces, a few new faces in the room this morning, so I'll just introduce myself. My name is Mike, Mike Brewer, as you may have learned. Uh, I'm married to Sarah, who sat just there with one of our girls. We've got two girls. We've got another little boy on the way um, during February. Oh, I don't know what to do with a boy. I guess we'll figure it out as time comes. Um, now, we've been here in the church for, well, getting on for two and a half years now. Time's flown. Uh, we came here from a previous church down in Bedfordshire, um, and I'm just thrilled to have the chance really to, to bring part of the Freedom in Christ course to you. Uh, both Sarah and I have been through the course about maybe four or five years ago was the first time, and it had a massive impact on our lives. Uh, and we've seen, we've had the privilege of leading other courses since then, and we've just seen transformation after transformation in people's lives. Um, God is doing it, obviously, but this is a fantastic vehicle, a fantastic tool to help people really get hold of truth. So um, the section of the course we're in now is all about looking at the, um, the things that try and take us away from truth. The first three sessions, we were looking at what truth is, just the basics. Um, but we've been looking now at this middle section all about the, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. There are three main enemies that try and take us away from truth. So a few weeks back, Stuart took us through the, the aspects of the world in terms of cultures and worldviews and those sorts of things. Uh, a couple of weeks back, Sarah took us through the first part of the flesh, um, these ways of thinking that are not in line with God's word. Now, today we're going to stay with the flesh, but we're going to look at a particular aspect of the flesh, which is called strongholds. You know, as we, as we grow up, we just sort of absorb things into our minds. Maybe a little thought is planted in our mind by something that happens to us. Maybe um, this can be before or after we become a Christian. Maybe we're bullied, maybe we're abused, maybe people call us names, whatever happens. Or maybe someone says something negative about us. Maybe they say, you're useless, you're a failure, you're ugly, you're never going to amount to much. And like a little thought in our mind, it just gets a little place there. And we dwell on it. Maybe we move somewhere else. Maybe a couple of years later, someone says something similar. Well, you're, you're never going to amount to anything. And it gets a little bigger. That thought we feel gets reinforced. And it just gets entrenched. It keeps growing and growing. And so it just becomes part of who we are, or at least who we believe we are. And we think we're never going to get rid of it. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says this. It says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. <laughs> we need the word of God to come and to judge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts and to pop those, just like that balloon, that are not in line with what is actually true. The truth for us as Christians is amazing. We've, we've been looking at it through the first few parts of this course. You know, God is loving. He really does love you. He's intimately involved and concerned about you. He's declared you righteous. You're a saint. You're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. You're holy. And he's made you his child. He's adopted you into his family. He has a purpose and a plan for your life, and he equips you for it. He's made it possible for you in Christ to become everything that he has planned for you to be. And that's not just theology. It's not just kind of academic stuff in our head. It can, and it really should make a real difference to our lives. It says in Galatians 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's past tense. He has set you free. You are free if you're a Christian today. Trouble is, many Christians simply aren't experiencing this freedom that we're meant to have. In fact, I'd probably say most of us aren't. It's like we believe the truth on one level, but we just seem unable to make real connections with it. 
that actually affect our daily lives. We don't feel free, actually, we often feel trapped and hopeless. Now, people who have been through this course before and really made connections with the truth, not just in their head, but in their heart, say things like this. One person said, The release that I felt at years of shame and bondage being lifted from me is hard to describe. I feel like a human being again. Another person said, Ever since I read that list of who I am in Christ, the significance, security, and acceptance restored that we looked at, my life has been transformed. It was like walking from darkness back into light again. And then another person said, I've got a clear head, praise Jesus. It's not been really clear for years. Now, if you honestly couldn't say things like that about yourself, if you're often experiencing negative emotions or weighed down by negative self-image, maybe you're trapped in a cycle of sin, confess, sin, confess, you just don't feel there's any hope you can break out of. Maybe there's some really good things that you know you should be doing you just feel unable to do. It's probably because of what we're going to look at today, strongholds. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at what is a stronghold, we're going to look at how they're formed, Uh, we're going to look at the effects they have in our lives, and I'm going to give you some tips at the end about how we can actually start dealing with these things. So what is a stronghold? Paul talks about strongholds in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5, which I'll just read to you. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So he's talking about strongholds, and there's something that we should be demolishing. And we've got tools um, that, that, that we're given, which is basically the word of God, these weapons of our warfare, to demolish the strongholds. And then he goes on in verse 5 to explain what strongholds are. So he's just said we should be demolishing strongholds, and it says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. See, strongholds are connected to the flesh that we looked at last time. They're basically faulty ways of thinking that aren't in line with God's word, but they go quite a bit deeper. Um, Verse 5 we just read talks about these arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the word of God. And then it goes on into the next part of the verse to say we need to take every thought captive. So what we're talking about here is not just an individual incorrect thought here or there. What we're talking about is something that is deep-seated, something that's become habitual, almost automatic, kind of a pattern of thinking in our mind that we just go through that's not in line with the Bible. Now, ever since I can remember, and many of you know this, I have loved my food. I've always been able to eat a lot. Um, I don't really know why that is, but I've always been able to eat a lot, and I've completed lots of those different eating challenges you see in restaurants. Uh, One of my favorites was just a couple of years ago. I was on a business trip in the States, and they did this, what they call the beef eater challenge, um, in a steak restaurant, and I managed to eat a 48-ounce steak, which is three pounds of beef, or, you know, kind of half a baby, that sort of size. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, so I've, I've got a T-shirt, I've got my photo on the wall in that restaurant. Um, you know, that's the kind of thing that's, that's been a feature in my life for ever since I can remember. I've always loved eating. Now, but when I was a kid, food, basically, it became a god for me. I wasn't a Christian, and food was, in effect, my functional savior. I would eat to feel satisfied, to feel secure, for comfort. You know, when I ate food, it made me feel secure. I didn't know God. I'd always been fairly active, so it never really led to me putting on a lot of weight. But if I ever felt low, then food was often where I would turn to feel comfort, to feel secure. Now, there's nothing wrong with eating. There's nothing wrong with food, obviously. But when you try and use it to meet those needs we all have for significant security and acceptance, that's where it becomes an issue. Because God says he is the God of all comforts. 
Now, of course, now that I know him, he's more than ready to pour that kind of comfort into my life. The trouble is, when you start thinking that way, then you start acting that way. And when you act that way, time and time again, it becomes a habit or a stronghold. One day, we became brand new creations in Christ. And I think Sarah mentioned this last time. No one pushed a clear button in your mind. No one erased all of that faulty way of thinking that you'd kind of accumulated for your life without Jesus. So all of those false beliefs that we had, that I'm useless, I'm a failure, and any coping mechanisms we've built up, like food or like alcohol or like drugs or gadgets or sex or whatever it happens to be, they were still there. So a few years into my Christian life, I realized that there was an issue for me with food. It was still, I still had this program in my mind. It was still something I would turn to for comfort instead of to God. So, so one thing I do now, as well as dealing with it at the time, one thing I do now actually is most weeks I actually fast from food one day a week and pray. Um, obviously praying is very important. If you're just fasting without praying, it's just starving yourself. Um, but I, I do this partly because just fasting and praying is really good for your walk with God. But I also do it because I know this is an area that I'm vulnerable personally. And it's just by, by doing it regularly, it's just a means of keeping that desire in check and making sure that I'm not turning to food for comfort. It's making sure that I'm turning to God because I'm more hungry for him than anything else. So we're going to look at a couple of, to kind of round this off, a couple of definitions of strongholds that some people have given. Uh, one is by a guy called Ed Silvoso, and he defines a stronghold as follows. It's quite a, a long, wordy one. You need to just think about it for a moment, so we'll go through it. He says, a stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes us to accept as unchangeable situations we know are contrary to the will of God. So it's not just patterns of wrong thinking. There's kind of, they've become deep set, deep-rooted in our lives, and they're accompanied with hopelessness. We don't think it can ever change. Then we've got a guy called Neil Anderson who actually founded the Freedom in Christ ministry. He says, a little more simply, he says, strongholds are mental habit patterns of thought that are not consistent with God's word. Sometimes strongholds show themselves in things we feel we should do, but don't seem able to, to actually do them. Or things we know we shouldn't do, some kind of sin, but we don't feel able to stop. And we can end up feeling hopeless. We can end up thinking, we know we shouldn't be doing this, but I just don't seem to be able to break free from it. And we feel hopeless. And those are strongholds as well. But we've got to get something straight. God loves us. He would never ask us to do something that actually we're not able to do. He would never tell you to jump over this bar and then make it so high that you actually can't do it. That's just not his nature. So if God says there's something as a Christian that is good for you to do, then by definition you can do it. There is hope. But we can so easily fall into hopelessness. It often feels like we can't. We can't do something. We can't stop doing something. And if that's the case, then we're talking about these strongholds getting in the way. So strongholds, as I've said, also often leave us feeling hopeless. And we conclude, well, that's just the way I am. I can't change. Yes, I occasionally have outbursts of anger, but that's just, that's just me. That's who I am. Uh, maybe you don't relate well to other people and you believe, well, I'm just, I'm just shy. That's who I am. I'm never going to change. There's no hope for me to change. Other examples of strongholds are quite a common one is feeling inferior. Depending on what's happened to you in your life, you may have this feeling that you're just generally inferior. Well, the Bible says that no child of God is inferior. Another common one is feeling insecure. The Bible says, as a child of God, you have the most security anyone could possibly have. No one, no one can take you out of Jesus' hands. 
And another common one is feeling inadequate, just feeling like you don't measure up to the mark. You don't have what you need to do things that you're called to do. Well, a child of God can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And that's what the Bible says. But often it doesn't feel true to us. We, we get trapped in this pattern of thinking and it feels like it's hopeless. I'm just going to show you a quick cartoon sequence that illustrates a stronghold. So this is based in like an idea of a school reunion. Maybe 50 years later, people have come back together. Um, and there's these two girls chatting to someone else. says, you are always the pretty one in class, Jane. Jane says, you thought I was pretty. You always ignored me. We weren't ignoring you. We were just too intimidated to speak to you. I've spent 50 years struggling with low self-esteem because I thought you were ignoring me. And then her friends don't respond terribly helpfully. Ha <laughs> isn't that silly? <laughs> But here's the, here's the crunch. My entire personality has been formed around the wrong information. And that can so easily happen. We can so easily look at a situation, look at the way people behave to us or speak to us, and actually interpret it incorrectly. And we can start dwelling on these negative emotions and feelings that have a massive impact on our lives and our personalities. You can also think of a stronghold in this way. Let's say after it rains, you drive a tractor across a field, and it creates some tire marks in that field. If you were to do that every day for some time, those tracks would just get deeper and deeper and deeper. And then as they dry out, they will form quite deep, hard ruts. And eventually, you could just drive that tractor across that field without even holding on the steering wheel. It would just follow those ruts, kind of automatically. And in fact, any attempt to steer out of those ruts will be met with quite a lot of resistance. It will be very uncomfortable to try and get out of those deep, hard ruts. And strongholds are very much like this. We just keep following those habitual ways of thinking almost an autopilot, and we find it really difficult, really uncomfortable to actually think differently, to think any other way. To also try and illustrate this to you, I'm just going to read a testimony. Um, with this course, you can, you can get a, a set of DVDs that basically present the teaching. And every now and then through those DVDs, they get someone to just give their testimony about how the course has impacted them. And this was from a guy who was probably some, somewhere in his 40s. And it's a really powerful testimony, so I just want to read it to you. He says, When I turned a teenager and my hormones kicked in, I discovered pornography. Now what I also discovered was because of my life, things that happened to me, I was a worrier. And I would get really worried about all kinds of different situations. Where some people will escape into alcohol or escape into drugs, I escaped into pornography. And then when the internet came along with its accessibility and anonymity, the problem totally escalated and it became a situation where I was completely addicted. And for perhaps 15 years of my life, even into marriage and into parenthood, I was addicted to pornography. I think it got to the stage where, again, it almost became my identity. That was who I was. I was a porn addict. Whether it was a character flaw or whatever, that was who I was, I thought. So that was what I did. When I heard the truth would set me free, I sought the truth then. And the truth is that I can be set free through the blood of Jesus Christ. The truth is that I am not an addict. The truth is that I am not even just a sinner saved by grace. The truth is, I am a saint. And it's when you realize it's not what you do that decides who you are, but who you are that decides what you do. Once you get your identity sorted out, what you do will automatically follow. He goes on to say, the freedom in Christ's course was the instrument that God used to take someone that was a male, someone who had a wife, someone who had children, and someone who claimed to be a Christian, and transformed them into a man, into a husband, into a father, and into a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
I mean, I look upon pornography as living in the gutter. But I don't want to live in the gutter when the truth is that I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's a really powerful testimony. That guy basically was in a situation where he, he felt hopeless. He thought that's just who he is. He's a porn addict. That's what he's going to do. He's got no chance of actually breaking free from that. But there is hope. Now, if the statistics are true, then there's a good portion of you in here uh, in that situation. That's what the statistics tell us. But you need to hear today, not condemnation, you need to hear there is hope. You can be free from it, just like that guy. So let's have a look and see if we can understand a little more about how strongholds are formed. Firstly, our environment. The world we live in is hostile to God. We've covered this before. When we came into the world, we were born physically alive, but we were spiritually dead. We had very little programmed into this little computer in our head. We just picked up ways of thinking from the environment in which we lived and ways of coping, ways of meeting those needs for significance, security, and acceptance. And even after we become Christians, we're still living in this fallen world, and it's constantly trying to get us to think the way that it does, trying to trip, trip us up. Your family, your community, schools, friends, your workplace, they all have an effect, and you just you, you soak it up from your environment like a sponge. But again, it's not just stuff that happens before we become a Christian. Even after we're a Christian, we can still be affected by the world, and we can still develop strongholds. You might have been told you're useless, that you're ugly, that you're never going to amount to much. If you believe those things, chances are you've kind of developed an inferiority complex. And I'll give you another example from my life. Before coming here, we were part of a church plant in a town in Bedfordshire. Uh, we'd been involved in leading life groups before. We'd been involved in leading other contexts in the church and getting involved in different things. Um, <clears throat> and when the church plant was going to launch, I was asked to be part of the leadership team. So we, we got stuck into it. Things were going really well. We were seeing people saved, people being baptized, people being filled with the Spirit. We saw um, just people's lives being transformed. We saw great things happening. Uh, we were doing work with the poor. We were fe feeding elderly people free lunches, that sort of stuff. Um, we had good community. I had friends. Um, and then I was appointed as an elder along with the guy who was leading the church as well. And then what happened was several people who I, I thought were my friends at that point just withdrew from me. Or at least that's how I saw it. They stopped inviting me to stuff. They stopped responding when I tried to arrange things with them. Um, they just seemed awkward in the way they were speaking with me. They didn't feel, seem very open. Um, what I believed from that is that they just didn't really want to be friends with me. Looking back, I can see now that maybe actually they just felt a bit uncomfortable, didn't really know how to relate with me anymore now that I had this different position in the church and the, the kind of spiritual authority that came with. Um, but anyway, I believed that I had no friends, and I began to feel very, very lonely and unvalued and worthless. Just felt like no one cared if I was there or not. And I'll go into what happened after that a bit more later. But that's how our environment can influence us, the people around us, the, the situations we get into. Secondly, we've got traumatic experiences. <clears throat> These can also lead to strongholds, but often, often a stronghold is reinforced over time. But with sig significant experiences, traumatic experiences, like a, a death in a home, a rape, some kind of abuse, a burglary, divorce, things like that, they can be a relatively brief experience, but because of their intensity, they also can set up strongholds. And we'll talk more in a later session about how we can be released from those past experiences. But the key thing to note right now is that it is not the experience itself that produces a stronghold. It's the lies we believe as a result of it. 
And I know when I first heard that statement that I <clears throat> thought, well, I'm not believing any lies, am I? I don't think about it. No, I don't think I'm believing any lies. Um, but the trouble is with lies, it's, this is, it's deception. By definition, you don't know you've been deceived. Um, so I just put that out there. Be aware, there are most likely a lot of lies you are believing and you don't realize it. Um, hopefully, through the rest of this course, we're going to uncover them and help you deal with them. As an example, if you were maybe abused as a child, you may well have come to see yourself as a victim or helpless. Now, that may have been true of you at one time in that experience. You were a victim, you were helpless. But it is not true anymore. It's not true of who you are in Christ. You can go back to those events, you can process them again from the position of who you now are, a saint, a child of God. The truth is that no Christian, doesn't matter how bad your past experiences are, no Christian has to remain a victim of those past experiences. God doesn't promise to change our past, but he does promise to set us free from it. We, just, we don't have to drag it around with us anymore and be held back. We can walk away because we can deal with the lie that we believed at the time. And the real problem with strongholds is this, that if, you believe, if what you believe doesn't reflect truth, then what you come to feel just won't reflect reality. You may feel rejection when you're not being rejected. You may feel helpless when in fact you're not. I felt like no one wanted to be my friend. But in reality, it's highly unlikely that was the case. It's highly unlikely that nobody wanted to be my friend. I'd ended up believing a lie that I was alone, which of course was nonsense because I was married, I had a wife, um, and the Bible says in, a, in several places, Jesus is always with me, he's eager to be with me, and he'll never leave me nor forsake me. I'm not alone as a child of God. But I believed it, that's how I felt. But the trouble with strongholds is they blind you to the truth. You pay too much attention to them, and in particular you pay too much attention to how they make you feel. And the devil, therefore, has an interest in getting us to have these patterns of wrong thinking, these strongholds, because they keep us from really taking hold of what the Bible says is true. They stop us from really being fruitful for God. And so he's continually subjecting us to the third area here, which is temptation. I think we'll come up soon. <clears throat> strongholds are also formed and actually reinforced when we repeatedly give in to temptation. Satan is the tempter. He wants you to keep going around in circles to make you feel hopeless. But what is temptation? Well, think about those needs we've talked about before for significance, security, and acceptance. When you really think about it, what you'll find is that temptation, generally, um, is an attempt by the devil to get you to meet those needs independently of God. The basis for the temptation is legitimate. We really do have needs for significance, security, and acceptance. And so by going at it this way, he's quite sneaky, he often does it this way, the, the basis for his temptation is genuinely legitimate. He just tries to get you to meet it in the wrong way. So the question is, are those needs going to be met by responding to the world, the flesh, and the devil, or by God? By God, who promises to meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. It's Philippians 4.19. Now also, Satan and his demons, they've observed our behavior. They've observed people's behavior, generally, over time, but also each of your individual behavior throughout your life. And they know who you are, they know how you work, they know how you specifically are vulnerable. And that's where they're going to attack. Your temptations will be unique to your area of responsibility. I'm easily tempted to go to food for comfort. But you'll have your own individual areas of vulnerability. But you don't ever have to give in. You don't ever have to give in as a child of God. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. 
And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now, I've read that verse lots of times. I used to think, well, <laughs> where is the way out, God? You know, I've gone through these, these intense periods of temptation. Where is the way out? I can't see it. Have you ever thought that? Now, I'm going to show you a cartoon sequence again of someone undergoing temptation. It's a pretty tame example, but it illustrates the point fairly well. What I want you to do is keep a careful eye out and see if you can spot in which frame is the way out. So I think I'll take a drive, but I won't go near the supermarket. Well, maybe I'll drive past the supermarket, but I won't go in. Well, I'll just go in, but I won't go to the biscuit section. Uh, I'll, I'll look, but I won't touch. I'll touch, but I won't buy. I'll buy, but I won't open. I'll open, but, I not, but not smell. Smell, but not touch. Touch, but not taste. Taste, but not eat. And then you're doing the cookie monster thing. <laughs> like I said, it's a pretty tame example, but it illustrates the point fairly well. But the question is, where was the way of escape? Which frame? You got it. <laughs> it's kind of a trick question. The way of escape actually was even before the first frame. Why was she even thinking about driving past the supermarket in the first place? If you could measure it, you'd probably be able to tell she was already salivating. Um, I think I am a little bit now as well. Uh, the, thought that was, the thought of what she was going to do was already there, even if she didn't recognize it. And so the answer is to practice what, we, what the Course calls, calls threshold thinking. See, God has provided a way of escape from all your temptation. But it's right at the beginning of the process. It's right when the tempting thought first comes into your mind. That is your chance. That's your opportunity to do what Paul says, to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That is your opportunity as soon as the thought comes in. So another illustration. Suppose you are struggling with pornography. You're on your way home from work. You remember you don't have any milk for your cereal the next morning. And you've got two choices to go to get your milk. You can either go to a corner shop where they sell milk. Or you can go maybe to a petrol station where they sell milk and they sell dirty magazines. Which one are you going to do? Which one are you going to go to? Your chance of making the right choice comes when you first think about it. That is your opportunity to practice this threshold thinking they're talking about. As soon as you decide to go towards that place, that petrol station where they sell the pornography, you can rationalize it as much as you like. Well, the milk's cheaper, whatever. Um, but in fact, whether you admit it to yourself or not, or not, you know very well you're being drawn to buy that magazine. It's, it's starting right at the beginning. At that point, your chances of turning around are diminishing rapidly because you're over the threshold and you're on the downhill slope. Turning back gets really difficult if you don't exit right at the beginning. On the way, you might pray, well, Lord, if you don't want me to go there, I just pray there'll be a crash at the next junction. And there's no crash. And then you say, oh, okay, Lord, well, I, just, I, I pray Stuart will be at the, the petrol station so I won't be able to buy the magazine. You get there? No, Stuart. Um, <clears throat> and you end up buying the magazine. You walk out the petrol station, you realize, actually, I just forgot to buy my milk. I, I don't care anymore. Um, but the, the devil is working on your mind even before you look at that magazine. But then what happens? As soon as you look at it, he turns around and he becomes the accuser. That's what he does. It's his one-two punch. He says, you, you stupid person, you failure. You call yourself a Christian. You can't be a Christian. You fall for this time and time again. You are a failure. And that's what he does. He's the tempter. And as soon as you fall for it, he turns around and becomes the accuser and makes you feel rubbish, makes you feel hopeless. 
This may come as a surprise to you, but you are in control of your mind. You can think of your mind like an airport, and you've got all these thoughts circling around, asking for permission to land, for you to actually process and dwell on. Um, <clears throat> but you have complete control over which will land and which will be turned away. You don't... You have to be alert. When it comes to temptation, you have to decide right at the outset. The moment you give up that tempting thought permission to come into land and to dwell on it, then, as we said before, the chances of you being able to turn away reduce significantly. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about when he says, take every thought captive. Make it obedient to Christ. Don't let it just go in there and run around in your mind without having any control over it. It requires effort and honesty and a constant commitment to truth, and it requires what I, I kind of call the ability to talk to yourself instead of just listening to yourself. It sounds a bit of a strange concept, but being able to just kind of almost step out of yourself and say, hang on, what are you thinking about? <laughs> just subject that to the Word of God. Is it really in line with truth? So what does this all have to do with strongholds? Tempting thoughts that are not dealt with straight away lead on to actions. I kind of said this before. Uh, sinful actions that, if we, um, that, that we think give us some kind of satisfaction. Now, if we repeat that action over and over again, it will result in a habit. And if we continually um, exercise that habit long enough, then it produces a stronghold. So, what are the effects of strongholds? first one is that they give you a faulty view of reality. They have a major effect on our ability to look at the world as it really is and to interpret situations, other people's behavior, as they really are. And sometimes they become self-reinforcing because, you know, if, for example, if we believe we are unloved, then often any situation that comes along where someone um, treats us poorly or they just speak carelessly to us or let us down in some way, we, we have this tendency to wrongly interpret that situation to mean that they don't love us. Now, whatever the person did, it likely didn't mean that. But because we've got this faulty belief, that's how we see it, and so it feels to us like that belief is being reinforced. Now, the main question for us, all of us, is this. Are we willing to trust God and look at, the, at things the way he says they really are? In other words, the way um, the Bible says they are, whether they feel true to us or not. Or are we going to trust our own thoughts and our own feelings? Listen to what God says about the difference between seeing things as they really are and how we are often tempted to look at them. One verse from Isaiah 55, verse 9, says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then a couple of well-known verses in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. See, the truth is that God knows infinitely more than we do. Faith is reasonable, we should assume our responsibility to think, but our ability to actually make, um, to, you know, to work things out and make proper judgments is limited. We're not perfect, we often interpret things incorrectly. We need God to show us what's best for us. Now, strongholds tend to prevent us seeing what's really true because of how they make us feel. We too easily simply listen to our feelings. For example, many Christians say that they know God loves them because it says so in the Bible. You know, they know it, it's kind of intellectual, it's academic, um, but do they really believe it? Do they really know it in their hearts? Are they actually affected by it? I think many of us really don't know just how special we are to God because we know about all the stuff we've done. We know, how, you know our past, and we just don't feel good enough. We just feel like, well, God can't really love us, not really. And I'm amazed, actually, when I've been leading people through this course before, how common that feeling that 
that God doesn't really love me. He can't really love me. I'm amazed how common that is. And that's a stronghold. Secondly, in effect, the strongholds are bad choices. Every day we have to make a choice between doing things God's way or leaning on our own understanding. It's a bit like what Sarah shared in the last session about choosing to either walk by the Spirit or walk according to the flesh, these old patterns of thinking. Now, to live a truly free life in Christ, we've got to know and we've got to choose to believe what God says and then act on it, which is easier said than done. I know it is. Because of all the strongholds and these patterns of thought we've lived by since as far back as we can remember. But strongholds always, or very, usually, tend to push us towards making bad choices because they're based on false information. And we don't realize it, and we're generally deceived, but they're based on false information. And so we, we just process things incorrectly and we make bad choices. So a stronghold will predispose us to ignore the danger signs that God has posted in his word. There's all sorts of stuff in the Bible that tells us things that are bad for us. And we often just ignore them or don't see them. We like to figure out for ourselves how to feel significant, secure, and accepted. We develop this attitude of leaning on our own understanding. We get proud. On the other hand, God's way will grow in our life and we'll make consistently better choices when we choose to commit ourselves to know God and his ways. He really does only want the best for us and he knows what's best. He, he designed us, he made us, he's nurtured us, he knows what is best for us. And we're not helpless in this struggle. Right back at the beginning, one of the definitions I gave for a stronghold is it's often accompanied with hopelessness. If you're feeling hopeless about something, then that, it's, it's pointing to the fact that there's, there's some kind of lie in there that you're believing. We're not hopeless. We're not helpless. In Christ, we have the choice. We, we have the ability every day to renew our minds by choosing God's truth instead of leaning on our own understanding. You are the one who determines the winner in this battle for your mind which is great news because it means there is no, other, no one else can stop you. No one else can stop you from breaking free. Everything you need is yours, and it's up to you. So we're going to finish up now just looking at how we can actually go about demolishing these strongholds. Do you think we have to put up with them? No, <laughs> we don't have to put up with strongholds. Let me just read those verses again from 2 Corinthians 10 that I started with at the beginning. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. In these, uh, these kind of tactics I'm going to give you, it's quite helpful sometimes to think about our, our, our minds the way we think, in, similar to a computer. So what's one of the first things a computer does when you turn it on, often? It will check for viruses. And we kind of need to do that too. We need to uncover, we need to deal with any what we will call footholds that the enemy may have in our lives. These are just little things where he's got some area of influence where he can confuse your thinking. It's not a stronghold, it's, it's something else. Um, but we need to uncover those and deal with them. Um, <clears throat> because if we leave those little footholds in place, it actually makes it quite difficult to get at the strongholds. It, we're blinded, we can't see that we have these strongholds. We don't realize that we're being deceived. You're going to have the opportunity to do this when we go through something called the Steps to Freedom in Christ later in the course, a few weeks away. Um, this is a, a fairly um, straightforward process. There's kind of seven steps to it where you look at all sorts of different aspects of your life from when you were born to today to try and 
get the Holy Spirit's help to identify where the devil's been able to get little areas of influence, just a little place where he can confuse your thinking. Um, <clears throat> and then we will basically help you work through those. You get to choose to repent, you get to change your mind and deal with them there and then, and then they're done with, you're free. Um, the process actually is based on a verse in James 4, verse 7. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You won't just depart in an orderly fashion. You won't go kicking and screaming. He will flee from you. And that's the truth. So once you've done that, a stronghold is nothing more than a habitual way of thinking and behaving that's kind of still left behind. If you've believed a lie, you can stop believing that lie, and you can choose the truth instead. If you've programmed your computer badly, it can be reprogrammed to work better. You can steer out of those ruts of habitual faulty thinking, but it's by making a sustained effort with God's help over a period of time. But you have to want to do it. You have to choose to do it. And you have to know you've got to believe what it says in Romans 12, which says you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Just like those few testimonies I read at the beginning where people just had this experience that they were massively transformed. Their life was changed. They were brought from darkness into light. They felt like a human being again. You can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Just to illustrate some of that, when I went through the Freedom in Christ course for the first time, and I was working through part of this Steps to Freedom in Christ process that was all about forgiveness, asking the Holy Spirit to come and just, just remind you of people that you really need to forgive. Um, and so I was writing them down. I wrote down who they were. There were I think there's like six or seven people. I wrote down what they'd done, and I wrote down how they made it feel. And when I looked across all of these people, it just hit me like a train. I'd written down pretty much the same thing for how these had made me feel. These are all different people, different stages of my life, completely different situations, completely different things they'd done to me, but they'd all led to me feeling the same way. Alone, unvalued, and worthless. So why had I interpreted all those different situations in the same way? It was a stronghold. I had this, this faulty belief in my head that I didn't have any friends and I was going to be alone. And it just predisposed me to interpret other situations in my life that I thought they meant the same thing and they didn't. And it was amazing just to see this same feeling coming out across lots of different people, lots of different situations. And it just helped me realize I've been deceived. I've got a stronghold. So I went to the Bible, I looked up truth, that Jesus is always with me, he'll never leave me nor forsake me, I've read that already. I committed to throw away that lie that I was alone, and daily just read those verses and just speak that truth into myself. And it worked, my mind was renewed, and I can tell you I have not felt lonely ever since then, ever. It's just been completely dealt with, and it's quite amazing. But the devil has tried to tempt me back into that way of thinking. Because he observed me over my life, he knows that's an area that I'm vulnerable. And so he'll keep trying to tempt me to feel that same way again. Um, but the difference now is that I know the truth and I can use it as a defense. And that really is kind of the, the, the final key part of this strategy for demolishing strongholds. It's about guarding your mind by taking every thought captive. Like it said in the verses you read at the beginning, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So when the devil tries to make me feel that I'm alone and that nobody values me, I can just stop that thought, don't let it land, and I can compare it to the, the truth, the word of God that I know is true. And guess what? The truth wins. Of course it does. The truth wins. I'm coming into land now. Now, in, in, in session 10, in a few sessions' time, 
after we've been through the Steps to Freedom process, what we're going to do is share with you in more detail this kind of structured way of dismantling a stronghold that I've just described that I went through. Um, you may be thinking, well, Mike, from what you shared this morning, I'm starting to realize I might have some strongholds. I could really do some help here. Um, but like I, just, I said, we've got to go through this process of checking for viruses, go through the steps to freedom, get rid of all these little footholds where the devil will confuse your thinking. And then it's time, it's the best time, to really start dealing with demolishing strongholds thoroughly. Um, so have some patience. Um, the, there is kind of a method to this. Um, there are good reasons for doing it this way. But it is quite a straightforward method, this kind of what we call stronghold busting. It's a really cheesy term. Um, but we'll explain more to you on that in session 10. Um, but many people have found it revolutionary. I did. Um, <clears throat> nevertheless, like I said, I'm sure many of you here today have had your eyes opened by the Holy Spirit. You start to realize how patterns of thinking that you've lived with for a long time, you start to realize, actually, maybe there's an issue here. Maybe there's a stronghold. Maybe there's something... I need to deal with. And so I want to give some room to respond. So, Ben, if you could just come back up and start getting ready. Um, and the rest of you could just stand if you're able. I'm just going to... There's, there's three kind of areas, really, where I think we may need to respond. And what I want to do is, after I've explained them, uh, I'm going to ask you if you feel brave to just raise your arm if you think any one of those is an area that you're going to need to deal with. And we'll get some people around to pray with you, we'll get some people around to start speaking truth into your life. We're not necessarily going to solve the issue completely today, but sometimes it happens. God shows up, truth is spoken, and it just breaks like that. Um, so there's, there's three areas where I think we're going to need to respond. The first one is maybe you, you've realized that you're, in your daily thought life you're plagued by uh, negative emotions, or negative beliefs about who you are. So that's one area. Maybe you, just in your daily life you've realized, yes, I'm plagued by these negative emotions, negative feelings about myself and my identity. Secondly, I think maybe there's some people here where you've realized I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in this kind of sin-confess, sin-confess cycle, and I just I felt hopeless about it. I don't, think, I, I don't feel like I'm really, I can really break out. You've tried before and you've just not been successful and you've, you've come to the conclusion, the wrong conclusion, that this is just something you're going to have to live with. This is part of who you are. And then thirdly, I think there's some people here who, there are things that the Bible says you know are good for you to do. Things like reading your Bible, things like praying, spending time with God. And you've tried and you just, you just seem unable to really do them as much as you'd like or even at all. These, these great things that, that God encourages us to do and you just, you just don't feel like you can do it. So we've got these three areas. Plagued by negative, negative emotions, negative feelings about yourself. Feel like you're stuck in a sin-confessed cycle that you just feel hopeless to break out of. And also just seemingly unable to do something that you know is good. Now if anyone's feeling brave and you want to respond to any of that and have someone to pray with you, I just want to ask you now, when you put your hand up. Okay, keep your hands up. We've got a few. Could um, someone pray with Barbara just there? Um, Jamie, could you pray with Paul? Jeremy, could you pray with Matt? Uh, John with Pete, if that's right. Bev, 
as people are praying with you, I'm just going to pray generally for all of us to close. Once that's done, we're going to go into a time of worship, but don't, um, don't think that's, that's, that's a time for prayer for you to end. If you're being prayed for, just keep going. Keep encountering the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for what you have done for us. Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross to, to save us, to set us free from so many things. Lord, I thank you that you say over and over in your word that we are free. Lord, you tell us that we are saints. We are holy, righteous ones. We're not sinners. That's not our identity. We're not porn addicts. We're not liars. We're not thieves. That's not our identity. We're a saint. We're a child of God. I thank you, Lord, that you've adopted us into your family. Lord, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you can, you do come, and you illuminate to us, you reveal to us areas where we've been deceived. I thank you, Lord, that you've been working in people's hearts this morning. I thank you that you are ministering to them right now. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you will come for all of us and that you will just ruin any feelings of hopelessness in our lives. Lord, I pray you'll help us to identify strongholds that we currently can't see as we go through the rest of this course. I pray, Lord, that you will set people free from them. Lord, I pray we'll see lives transformed. I pray that some of those testimonies I read through, through the beginning, I pray there will be true testimonies of us. I pray people will be able to come and share that that's what's happened to them. They feel like they've stepped from darkness into light. They feel like they're a, they're a person again. They feel like they can think clearly and see clearly, maybe even for the first time. Father, thank you for your loving compassion towards us. And I just pray, Lord, as we go into a time of worship, that we will really engage with truth and see truth in a way we haven't done before. Holy Spirit, we need your help to do that. So I pray you will come and reveal Jesus to us in all his glory. Amen.